Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. In today's episode of the Empire Builders podcast, I am joined by Trevor G. Blake. Now, Trevor is a two times New York Times bestselling author and a serial entrepreneur with over $300 million of exits to his name. So Trevor, welcome to the Empire Builders podcast. Thank you for your time. Let's get stuck in, shall we? Yeah, please do, Nick. I look forward to it. Um, so I should probably share with with our audience, um, Trevor and I have literally only just met. We've been introduced by a, a mutual friend, lovely lady called Lisa Cato, who I've known for many years, um, works with Trevor on um, helping him with his automation and marketing in his business. And um, Lisa introduced me to Trevor and said, you got to speak to this guy. you got to get to know him. And I went, it'd be really cool to speak to him and get to know him whilst our audience are listening. So um, I, I'm kind of going to get to know Trevor with you listening in, if that's okay, audience. Um, so Trevor, first of all, I know that one of your books um, is called Secrets to a Successful Startup. We've got in our community, our audience, um, we've probably got about 30 to 40% of our audience are startups and the remainder are kind of more experienced, established businesses. But for those startups, and I know you've started up a number of businesses yourself, um, what are some of the do's, don'ts, the the rights, wrongs, the, the, the advice you would give to somebody starting a business from scratch? Well, I mean, the reason I wrote Secrets to a Successful Startup, Nick, is I keep seeing so many entrepreneurs bump into walls unnecessarily. A lot of them come out, as you know, I'm not, you know, no, I'm preaching to the choir here, but a lot of them come out of the corporate world and they've come with these preconceived notions of how to start a business. And they try to do in a startup exactly what they were taught to do in the corporate world. But typically, and I've been in the corporate world before I started my first company, I didn't start my first company till I was 43. And so, so I was a bit late to decide to grow up, if you like. But, but when I came out of the corporate world, I actually left all that stuff behind because it it did my head in so all of the all the meeting mentality the the uh you know 360 appraisal approaches and stuff like that they're fine for the corporate world but i looked at my career and i thought okay i've you know spent 75 percent of my time holding the hands of disgruntled employees i don't want to do that anymore i want to build companies so i came up with a whole new way of doing it uh using a hub model instead of a hierarchical structure so i've never had an employee all these companies have been i've just been me been a you know a, a band of one which has been brilliant so i could focus on growth but when I kept seeing these people bump into the, into the wall, I felt really sorry for them. But at the time, I didn't have the bandwidth to say, look, I'll come and coach you. I've got plenty of bandwidth now, so I decided to do it. So the way to start it was to write the book, which I think... So I went to a big bookstore here called Barnes & Noble, and I spent ages trying to find books on startups because I don't want to just repeat what's out there. Couldn't find anything. Lots of management consultant books, loads of them. You know, how to be a better manager, but nothing on how to start up right do it the right way so so the bumping primarily is cash flow issues you know not understanding cash flow 82 percent of company failures are for that reason alone and so i think you can avoid those bumping into walls and things if you start the right way so secrets to a successful startup is a step-by-step -step guide in, including before you even start your company how to come up with a winning idea what makes a winning idea and then once you've got that idea, what do you do with it? How do you keep reacting forward so it becomes reality? So I, I think it's the ultimate guide. It's like it's like um, stepping stones across a pond, as long as you just follow the formula. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. The amount of um, amount of people that have had a successful corporate career that I meet that come to our events, um, and then 
you know, try and apply the same thing that works over here in their small startup business. It's not the same environment at all. Um, you've piqued my interest with a couple of things. Tell me about this hub model because um, I've built businesses over the years. Um, my current business, um, we've got 26 full-time members of our team um, who are amazing. And I'm fascinated about different views and different ways to do things. So tell me, how do you build the companies you've built without any team members, any employees whatsoever? I'm fascinated. The, the idea came to me more, more, you know, you know, it is necessity is the mother of invention. So I didn't have a lot of cash, so I couldn't go and hire a bunch of people. That was good. Uh, if I'd had a lot of cash, I might not have figured this out. You know, I might have gone this, the same way as, as a lot of other people. But um, in my regular career, you know, when we when we produced a new product and we're about to launch it, we never had enough people, never enough sales and marketing people, never enough distribution people, never enough regulatory. So we'd go out, and we'd hire people, and and I, all of, and what we go we'd find a company that does this for a living, and we bolt them onto our launch for a period of time six months or a year or something and i thought why not just bolt them on permanently so so when i started i went to some people i knew obviously but uh, i'd go and to where the vendors all get together i go to their little seminars that they do once a year and i'd, I'd pick the one that felt right for me and i'd say Look, I'm, I'm new i'm starting out i don't have the money to hire a bunch of people yet i want to do a fee-for-service contract with you and i don't want to pay you for 90 days i want you to help me build this and then when we build it so i found i had the flexibility to to really as a as a as, a, as the rookie company for these for these people who were experts i could kind of emotionally blackmail into the giving me giving me a little bit of time to get going before they started to to, to want their their fees if you like and it worked so well and the profit margins were so high i just kept doing it and so um, with my first company, I started it with just a few hundred dollars, actually, because I didn't I found out I didn't need a lot more doing it this way because well, I didn't have to pay, you know, signing on bonuses and stuff. What, what was the sorry to interrupt you? What was the reason no, at 43 years of age in 2003? I think you said you went, I'm starting a business. Like what, what was the reason? What was the catalyst for that? I fell out. My boss was the CEO and, and he told and I told him I'm going to do it. My, I'm going to do it myself. Because he, I, I presented a plan to him for some uh, three times. He said he'd taken it to the board of directors. Then I found out that was a lie. So I thought, okay, something's off here. And so we had a stand-up row. And you know, you never win a stand-up row with your boss, no matter who you are. So, you know, the writing was on the wall. So I said, well, I'll do it myself. And he said, but you're not capable. You're not smart enough. You've never been a CEO. You don't have a financial background. You've been in sales and marketing all your life. It's a disaster. You're going to fail. And that made me so mad. I wanted to prove him wrong. So I actually started out with, you know. It really doesn't matter what your source of motivation is, so long as you are motivated. So mine was to prove this guy wrong and one day get into his face and say, told you so. And so I started, I, that's why I started it. And um, we just moved into a brand new house. I was, I was living high on the hog in the corporate world, $400,000 a year salary, nice expense account. And we just bought a house on the water in uh, Tampa Bay in Florida, my, my wife and I. My wife also, uh, was also from England. She died a couple of years ago, unfortunately. And, and it was the house of her dreams, and I felt so good. But I thought, oh, shit, what have I just done? I'd better sell the house, get the equity back out of the house seven months later. And so I planned to take it to dinner and explain it very carefully. I had it my whole, on the plane back home, I had my whole, verbiage planned out i not i opened the front door and she said oh you're starting a company finally <laughs> so i said oh right okay and she said do we have to move i said yeah afraid so uh so we i used some of the equity in the house it wasn't a lot it was about eighty thousand and and uh, what few hundred dollars i had in the bank account to get started and it went from there and i didn't know if i would enjoy it actually but i absolutely loved it i'm addicted to building companies now but i also get bored really quickly so i'm addicted to exiting quickly too How much uh, and that's kind of my business stuff how much of an advantage do you think 
your sales and marketing background was in starting up, um, how much of an advantage do you think you had from that background versus if you'd had more of a operational background or a finance background or, or HR background or something like that? What do you think? Yeah, and it's a really good question, Nick, because I meet a lot of entrepreneurs who, you know, come out of finance or something and they're a bit afraid, they're a bit intimidated to sell and to pitch. And, and, you know, one of, so one of the things being in sales and marketing, we pitch all the time and, and you, and if you're any good, you get good at it. So I was, I wasn't intimidated pitching to potential investors or pitching to vendors or, or anything like that. That really helped. But by the same token, I was, when I was in the regular career, the, the company I left to start the, this first company was reasonably small, uh, 70 employees. And they were in Minnesota and I would fly, I live in California and I would fly to Minnesota uh, one month. And while I was there, I would make sure that I went around everybody. So they didn't forget me basically, but I'd go around, I was a VP of commercial development, but I'd go around and I'd talk to the manufacturers and I would talk to uh, the, the uh, board of directors and the, and the advisors and all that. And I kind of, I, I got to know enough of the issues across all the functions of a business to understand how it all comes together. That really helped. That helped more than being in sales and marketing to put a hub model together. And so my advice to anybody who likes the idea of a hub model, you know, like I can start with very little cash and I can take my time. I know it'll run itself eventually. Um, my advice would be while you're in the corporate world, treat it as paid training and go talk to everybody. Absolutely everybody you can. Be a pain in the ass. You know, go go knock on a door and bring in pizza and say, can I have two hours of your time and you can tell me what you do for a living. And so I did a lot of that. And I felt that gave me the kind of self-confidence to do this. You know, obviously I didn't know everything about every, every uh, vendor, but I knew enough to be able to pick a good vendor. And I think that was more valuable to me than being in sales and marketing. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So so it was, um, I think, from what you've told me or what I've read, you started in 2003, and in 2009 you exited. That's only six six years later for, I've got 109 million? 105.5. I'll, I'll never forget the number. Like. 105.5. I just added a few million on for extra, but, but I mean – even at 105.5 this is unbelievable in six years so like i mean i don't even know where we start with this like how i mean that is that's ridiculous um explosive growth in a relatively short period of time like how how did you do that how did that happen well i got the rights to to a product that was doing 700,000 a year i paid 2.1 million for it but I, I, I kind of knew that, that you know there's a there's a lot more upside to this product. So first of all, we could sell more of it. That was obvious. But secondly, it was so underpriced. It was it was embarrassing. So so I quadrupled the price. Took a bit of flack for it, but it soon died down. Um, I changed the distribution completely so that this product was getting shipped directly to people's home, and and so I cut out kind of two three middlemen that way. So we ended up with a net profit of seventy six percent, and that's attractive to a lot of buyers. And so. After just a few, I got a few offers before I, I even sold, but we weren't finished. We weren't the finished article yet. I wanted to hand over something that would keep going. It's still out there, by the way. This company, QOL Medical, Qual Medical, uh, Cooper Capital bought it from me for 105.5 million. They're still doing pretty well, but with exactly the same products. And I'm very proud to say that the taglines are the same ones that I put out there all those years ago. That makes me so happy. Anyway, um, 
So, so it, it comes down to multiples because the profits were so attractive. They could see that they could buy this from me. It's a hub model. They don't have to change a thing. It's just simply changing ownership. It's like buying a used car. And so we did a multiple and I think it was seven times profit. That's why it comes out to a weird number of 105.5. So it came out to, it was down to the penny. You know, the, the, the people that bought it were very pernickety. Um, but it was great. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, I was so delighted. It's a fantastic uh, success. I didn't get all 105.5 million, obviously, because by that point in time, I brought in investors. Um, once it was doing well, I went out and raised 28 million to get the rights to another product. And, and that only took six weeks, which is really interesting. How did you fund the first purchase? Because you said that you bought the rights for 2.1, but you started off with 80,000 and you had equity in your house. So how did you structure that deal um, to buy the rights to the product, which by the sounds of it was the the catalyst for everything really was purchasing the rights to that product in the first place. And then everything became, everything was built upon that foundation, right? I tried to borrow the money. I went, I knocked on 50 different doors and got rejected 50 different times politely. Um, and then the final door I didn't lock on because what I decided was missing, why I was getting rejected, was that I didn't have a proof of concept. And the thing that, that my, my CEO had told me kept coming up, like, well, you've not done this before. No one's done it this way before. It's a risk. And so I said, I thought, to myself, I, I need to prove this then. So I got the rights to a product that was doing $90,000 a year for free right. because they'd run out of product and they needed to manufacture it. And the manufacturing was X hundred thousand, et cetera, et cetera. And I managed to pull that one off. So I used the equity in order to take that tiny product and take sales from 90 to 270 using the model. And then went back to the same people that rejected me and said, it works. And I think that was the piece I was too naive about back then, that you definitely need a proof of concept if you want to raise money. And um, anyone listening to this, you know, that that that's, that would be my really big advice uh, in today's market because you're competing with a lot of people. An idea is not enough to get investment, I don't think. Um, unless it's you know, unless you've already proved yourself like Elon Musk and you're going into space now, maybe someone will believe in it. But he used most of his own money anyway. Um, so so I proved the concept, and then I went back to the same doors that rejected me, and it was fairly easy. But at this point, I changed the game myself as well. Instead of saying, "Give me 2.1 million in exchange for you know a big piece of my company," I said, "Give me 2.1 million. You can have 70, 70 percent of my company. If I pay it back within six years." We switch it and I own 70%, 70%. And that took the risk mitigation away. I've, I've given it a name because I'm British like you. I'm allowed catchphrases. So I call it a hybrid investment. So, so you can, you can if you really believe in your product, you can say to any investor, I'll give you all the company. And if I pay you back in a certain amount of time, I get it back minus a piece. So I got 70% back and, and, and uh, was very happy to give away 30% because investors bring, in my experience, so much more than the money. So I was happy to work with them anyway. Yeah, that's super smart. I'm, I'm becoming increasingly fascinated with creative deal structures. Um, and I think a lot of the time when, uh, you know, when deals can't be struck, it's really just a lack of creativity from one or both of the parties. Um, something else you said that really resonated with me. Um, I, I say uh, to a lot of our clients, think big, start small. And so I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurial types, people like us, think really big, um, but often we don't necessarily always have the humility to start small. Hence why, you know, we can we can come up with this big grand idea, but then struggle to get funding for it or struggle to sell it or whatever it might be. But I think what you did, which was really smart, is you went, actually, even though I'm thinking big over here, I'm going to start small here and, you know, 
get the rights to something that's selling $90,000 a year and needs something different and then apply your model, prove the concept here, and then it opens the gateway. I suppose it's just a little bit of patience, really, to go, I'm going to play a smaller game at the moment to prove the concept in order to open the gateway to the bigger game later. Yeah, I mean, there's different ways of doing it. I, I That opportunity just land, landed in my lap. Um, I, I have a course called the Transformation Experience where I teach people the importance of tuning into your intuition. And, and when you do that, then these you see these opportunities where you wouldn't see before and that's exactly what I did so I, I said oh, no one no one's looking at this I'll take it I'll, I'll do it and uh and, and that kind of you know works out really well but I think in, in other in other business um, or other business fields it it's really important to show to an investor not just the prototype or not just that this works but the customers like it and so and so that when I say I, you know I prove I, I got a proof of concept I put this model together. I went to all of these customers and said, what do you think of this? Help me improve it. And I'll give it you to free, for free, but you give me the data of the benefit you're getting out of the product. And when you take that to an investor, it's a bit of a no-brainer because they can see two things. One, the model works. And two, customers like it. And actually three, you know, we can make a profit here because uh, they'll buy it and they're already buying it. I think I think it's hard to go to investors without that in your pocket these days. It's just, it's, the world's moving so fast. Everything changes so quickly. By the time it takes you, you can't do it the way I did it in 2003 when the internet was still dial-up. <laughs> you, can't, you can't go knocking on 50 doors anymore. You, you've got to really be smart and think, or one has to be really smart, think it through and come up with a, with a, a foolproof plan that the investors are going to have to come up with a really good reason why they wouldn't invest. Um, I'm nosy, so I'm going to ask some personal questions. You're a Brit, yes. I believe. I believe from the northwest. Yeah, I was born in Liverpool, and we got. I grew up poor. My parents were well. We were evicted as a family three or four times, and the fourth time we ended up in North Wales in a derelict farmhouse. So I'm kind of a hybrid between. I feel like a Scouser in my heart, uh, but I sound a little Welsh when I talk sometimes. So. My um my my dad's a uh, my dad's a red. He's he was born in Liverpool as well. Although again, like you, he's not lived there for a very long time. Um, are you a red or a blue? Well, I'm wearing a blue shirt. I am a red, diehard red, through and uh, through. Well, and I will say thank goodness because I've had a really good thirty years or so being a red fan. <laughs> indeed. Well, uh, my, my my dad would be uh, my dad would be well happy with that. Um, and how did you end up in South California? I mean, you mentioned that you were in Tampa and you were working in different parts of the US. So how did you end up in, um, well, how did you end up in the US and how did you end up in Newport Beach, California, where you are now? Uh, it's a cool story, actually. So uh, one of the books you mentioned, Three Simple Steps, has this story uh, patted out. But the story, but the reason I reason I put this story in is I, I use this very story of, of, of chasing my dream and getting to get into my, our dreams to show how the tools and techniques that are in the transformation course work. That if you do this, this is what happens. And so, I, I do it like that because we have these things and I'm a physicist. So we have these things in, in the front of our brain called mirror neurons. They allow us to learn by observation. And that's how I got out of the quicksand of being in that derelict house is, is I read biography after biography after biography. And so I learned the best practices of other people without having to go through their, you know, up and down experience. And, who, and that's, that's why that goes back ones? to who are the best Sorry? ones. I love biographies, especially when I'm on holiday, who are the best ones you read? Best one I ever read is Madam CJ Walker. Mm. And uh, 
think of the think of these circumstances okay sometimes i think i'm up against uh, some challenges with business you know it's a, the economy or the or the capital market or something like that here's her challenges right she's born to slaves slavery gets quote unquote abolished but because she's a woman she's not allowed to work and if she could work she can only work in a farming capacity but if she's working in a farming capacity she can't have any implements because they're considered dangerous weapons in the hands of this woman she gets married at four. She's made to marry at 14. She's made pregnant. He abuses her terribly. Um, she's so malnourished and so stressed, all her hair falls out. She's got no hope in life whatsoever. There's no chance for this woman. She she tries all these kind of hair tonics to try and rub it into a scalp to try and try and get the hair to grow. And, and they're all, they all turn out to be snake oil. So she makes her own. And she goes door to door, although they probably didn't have doors where she was, but if she goes door to door, selling the hair tonic she made and it takes off and she became America's first female, not just black female, America's first female millionaires. Wow. And then she used that success to get involved politically and to change the lynching laws. I was blown away by that. And I read that when I was 15 years old and I thought, and I was getting bullied and I was thinking the world was on top of me. And I thought, my goodness, I need to grow up. I'm, I'm moaning and moaning about being bullied and look what she went through and conquered it all and whenever i come up against a kind of a challenge I, I i always go back to that biography um and and on the opposite side of that i'm reading one right now i'm I've, i thirst for biographies like we all do all entrepreneurs do um so i'm reading elon musk's biography now by walter isaacson he uh did the steve jobs biography a really great job he did of it and i'm loving it it's a page turner there's a lot i didn't know i thought i knew but didn't know and uh you know, I'd love to meet him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll um, I'll definitely check both of those out. So thanks for the uh, thanks for recommendations. Um, you were telling me how you ended up in Newport Beach. Oh yeah. So so my wife and I we tried to have kids for seven years. I was living in England, working for a company in England, and it didn't work out. So we just sat down with a bottle of wine and said, "Well, we could be miserable." We, we were part of a group of people who were going through IVF, and they were. Um, they all broke up, <laughs> but it made us stronger. And so we said, well, we can either be miserable or we can be irresponsible for the rest of our lives. What do you want to do? And she said, I've always wanted to live and work in America. So I pulled I somehow, I, the, the story in three simple steps is how I used the tools and techniques of transformation to put myself in the position to make that happen. Because everyone said it's impossible. You don't have the right qualifications. You don't have connections. You don't have enough money to invest it, uh, into, into getting a green card out there. Um, and then all kinds of stuff came into play, into place. I, my boss got fired. My new boss turned out to be from America. He helped me a little bit. And then uh, I ended up uh, going to Minnesota and finding a job in Minnesota. And then, for, and, I, and I'm a terrible corporate employee. So in the big Minnesota campus of this company, they couldn't wait to send me as far away as possible. And there was two choices. It was Boston or Southern California. So they ejected me to Southern California. So I got ejected a fifth time, but this time it was a good one. <laughs> Well, the weather's better in Southern California than it is in Boston, so I think you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. You've mentioned uh, you've mentioned your uh, there's two books that I'm aware of. I don't know if there's any others. The, the three simple steps and secrets to a successful startup. Um, I, I believe or I understand that um, the profits from those books have been um, all for charitable causes, um, for cancer research in particular. Um, what what what's the reason for that? Why is that so important to you? Uh, authenticity. Uh, there are so many books written by people whose only success is the fact the book caught on. They hadn't done anything. Like you know, we know the classic ones, right? The the the, the Secret and um, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich and and uh, the Science of Getting Rich from uh, Walter, whatever his name was, um, Witty or Witty or something like that. Um, I mean, I, 
I have, an, I have an opinion on it. It's probably not a very positive opinion of all those books, but the thing that stands out, even if I might like what they say, and what they say typically makes me feel better about the life I'm living, where actually what I want is a better life. But even if what they say is good, behind that is behind them is an author who never achieved anything. Hmm. And it makes me go, hang on. And I've, I've read them all, you know, and I, I do like reading them. It do make me feel better, but think, hang on, that's not right. So I waited until I'd sold my first company to write my version of a self-help book because I'm an entrepreneur and entrepreneurs are fixers, right? So we're all fixers. And I wanted to fix something I felt was missing in the health, self-help health, <laughs> the self-help industry. And that is authenticity. So, so, so first of all, some guy waiting till he's successful and then showing how that happened. Here's the tools and techniques. Good luck is authentic. And then secondly, saying, look, I'm not doing this for the money. That's authentic. And, and that was why I, why I did that purely. And, and I believe it was, um, is it cancer research specifically that you donate the, the profits to? Cancer research and development for a program that's working on a non-side effect treatment for cancer. So imagine how magical that is, okay? Treatment without the side effects. That's, and, and kind of we've been working on that non-profit. We've been working on that since 2005. Amazing. Well, amazing work. Um, and congrats on, well, a lot of things. Congrats on the amazing successes you've had in business, on the success of the books, um, you know, raising money for great causes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to um, to get to know even more about what you what you stand for and what you're about. Where can people find out more about you, Trevor? Where's the best place for them to check you out? Um, where can they buy the books? Like, how how best to follow you and learn more? Uh, books are available anywhere you can get books, although I'm told that there's a backlog in the UK for Three Simple Steps, but you can get the, the uh, e-book version. Uh, so my name right there on the um, the avatar, uh, trevorgblake.com. Right. Um, and... So Sorry, everything goes through trevorgblake.com. And there's, there's a bunch of freebies on the website, uh, which will help you anyway. So even if even if our paths didn't cross again, it's worth going there and taking a look. And, and down. I've got, I've got a, my, one of my favorites is the practical magic of the five-hour workday, which I put together as kind of a mini course, but it's also a PDF version. I put it together during COVID uh, for all of those people who are coming out of the corporate world and suddenly having to work from home and burning out really quickly because I don't work more than five hours a day on purpose because mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm I'm a scientist so I've, I'm fascinated by how the brain works and so the peak brain performance is really important as an entrepreneur you don't want to get burned out uh, so so it's about scheduling your day around productivity period I work from 9 to 11 typically I count this as work I'm set over time now and and then, and then deliberate relaxation periods where the magic happens where we get those incredible breakthrough ideas so scheduling a day like that so for all entrepreneurs even that freebies worth worth uh, digging into Amazing. Um, so I'm not a scientist in any way, shape or form, certainly not my forte or, or area of expertise, but I am fascinated by um, the science of how the brain, how the body works, how we can as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as leaders, um, optimize for, um, you know, for best performance. Um, how uh, you, you mentioned five hours a day, Max is your um, is your kind of um, your scientific opinion of the best um, the best way to to work. How important or how much um, how much of an impact does? Because I've been looking at it a lot over the last couple of years. How much of an impact does sleep have 
and recovery and heart rate and all of that stuff. I might, I might be opening a can of worms here, but you know, I've got somebody here who's an expert in the field and I'm not, so I want to know more. So if if, you, if anyone looks up at any of the studies that have been done on, on what are the habits of the successful or the wealthy compared to those who haven't made that, that uh, um, uh, label yet, uh, it's clearly it's, there's a clear line in between and, and on on the one side are people who don't watch a lot of tv and, and and read a lot of biographies spend a lot of time out in fresh air keep themselves fit and are very careful about what they put in their body and on the other side they don't <laughs> just quite simply and so it's, it's a question of how you know your life is at stake how committed are you how disciplined are you and 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 without making it an obsession okay so so in my case, you know, five hours of work works for me. It won't work for every business. I understand that, but there's ways to work around it. And so, so the key thing is that the brain can't concentrate for more than two hours. And after that, it's even though we kid ourselves when the zone, it's diminishing returns, and that's no good. But and, and so that's why I schedule it the way I do. I also believe in the power of intuitive decision making as an entrepreneur. So I spend a lot of time in nature learning how to connect, and I teach that in my transformation course. And that's probably been the biggest advantage I've had as, a, as an entrepreneur. Um, behind that though is something else and that is that all these entrepreneurs including some of my friends I bump into who are working 10 or 12 hour days and they're successful but they're not happy and they're on their third wife or third husband the dogs don't recognize them the kids can't stand them and it's just no way to live and the stress is incredible the pressure a lot of them are, are on you know what, what I call it um, uh, distracting paths, you know, whether it's with alcohol or, or pills or something like that. That's no way to live. And that's why I do what I do today. That's why I'm still doing this when I really don't need to. It's about, for me, my tagline now, my next catchphrase, if you like, for this phase of Trevor G. Blake is success with balance. It doesn't have to be that way. So if you can learn the practical magic of the five-hour workday, why it works, the history of it, that it's not new. It's actually old. It, it predates the uh, Industrial Revolution. And then mix into that these magical tools that we use in order to get what we want out of the, the energy of the universe. I know it sounds a bit woo-woo, but it's all scientific. I explain it all in, 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 uh, in my work. Then you can build a life that's successfully balanced. So you can be equally successful, but you can be equally happy uh, again, you know, like you were when you were a kid. And I'm finding so many entrepreneurs uh, get burned out uh, just because we feel guilty if we're not working. You know, we sit in front of our computer and if there's no emails, we think there's something going on. We're not doing it right. If our WhatsApp isn't dinging every five seconds, I must be doing something wrong. And when I first started, there wasn't a WhatsApp, thank goodness. Um, but I would sit waiting for the phone to ring and it would ring and I'd, I'd, I'd have it by my ear in a nanosecond. <laughs> I was thinking, this isn't a way to live. And, and then I realized with the hub model, well, well, guess what? So a hub model, six months then I went on vacation to England to see family because I hadn't been over for a year. And the phone in those days, the, the cell phone, internationally didn't work very well at all, if at all. And so when I came back three weeks later, I felt for sure my business is gone. It's got to disappear because I haven't been able to connect or communicate with anyone. And when I got back, it was actually running better than when I left and no one had noticed I'd gone. And so it's a it's a it's a question of mixing a few things. One is getting the discipline to schedule and to understand how important it is to connect to to, to deepen connection. And then second is building a business model that makes sense, so that you can, you know, so you so you're not spending eight hours a day supervising somebody. So you can start clean and fresh. And the the hub model doesn't work for every business at every stage, but it definitely works for every business at the start. Mm. And so 
we, you just, you know, I can help people figure it out. But they, I get people push back and say, but in my business, it will work. And I push, I say, well, if you looked at it this way, and it always works. And what it does is, you know, it helps the business run without too many ups and downs. And then it eventually runs itself. And it frees one up to focus on the things that we got into the business in the first place for, which is how do we make an impact? How do we grow? How do we satisfy our customers? Whereas most of the time, if you're in the corporate world or you start a business, a startup, like a corporate uh, startup, you're spending all your time holding the hands of disgruntled employees. I'm not sure you've had it, Nick, you know, the first year when you hire people, they're so enthusiastic to work for a small company in a startup. And then a year later, they're so dissatisfied because <laughs> it takes longer. It's more complicated, you know, and, and, and then they'll say, I want to pay rise and the money, the cash isn't there. Or they'll say, I'll take the know-how away with me unless you pay me or unless you promote me or something. And you just don't want to deal with that in the early couple of years. For sure. Um, Trevor, thank you so much for your time. I've got one final question. What is the one piece of advice you would give to an entrepreneur, a business owner who's looking, I want to specifically look at if they want to enhance how their brain works, what's one thing that they could do that would make the biggest impact so that they can have um, better performance, um, mind and body? All right. So this is this isn't my idea. This is NASA's. This is what they insist all their pilots do. It increases their brain function and their reflexes 34% immediately. They are required to take a 20-minute nap after lunch. Wow. I love it. Um, there's a lot, right. of, a lot of people listening. I will. You know what? I, I actually um, used to um nap in the day a lot, um, like it was quite a regular occurrence, and I haven't for years. Um, it's not something that I do at all now. I think maybe because there's a lot of other things I'm doing um, to consciously and deliberately, you know, increase my energy and my performance, things like that. But um, absolutely, 100%, um, when I have done that in the past, it's been really effective. So um, if NASA says it's a good idea and they demand it, mm -hmm their employees then it's good enough for me um so thanks again great advice so um those that are listening those that are watching check out uh trevorgblake.com that's where you can find out more about trevor's books and his trainings and his courses um and we'll put a link to your website trevor in the show notes as well um on the podcast platforms so once again thank you so much for your time really appreciate it it's been in, it's been very enjoyable i'm sure we'll speak again um and for everybody listening remember the more you connect the more you collect okay that's it for today thank you so much for listening to empire builders please subscribe leave us a review on apple on spotify on other platforms and uh share the love tell your friends remember till next time the more you connect the more you collect